0: Welcome to Originality, the podcast where we talk about creativity and creative expression. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and I am joined, like I'm always joined, by my friend, Kay Tempest Bradford. Someday we're going to video these and you'll be able to see how I gesture toward you
1: (laughs) as like the grand... Right, but it's like we're across the distance of time and space.
0: Yes, yes. It's very, very timey-wimey in here. (laughs) Uh, But you're closer than you sometimes are.
1: Yes, I am now ensconced, embedded in the city of Portland, Oregon, for at least a year. I can't believe it. I never thought I'd see the day where you would be someplace for at least a year. (laughs) Right, So we'll see how it goes. I like being a nomad, but um, I'm starting to realize that some artistic endeavors require a little bit of stability.
0: Yeah, I think I think that kind of falls in line a little bit with our discussion last episode about habits and kind of offloading some um you know by by creating habits and rituals you can offload some processing power into routine
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that can go toward creative endeavor and i think it's kind of it can be difficult to get into routines and form solid habits when your environmental context is changing so
1: frequently yeah exactly so even though the nomad thing was really great for a lot of reasons um especially having to do with like getting inspiration from being in different places. Now we're going to see if stability helps me actually finish this long-term writing project that I've been writing for such a long time.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a good experiment. It'll be, I think Portland is a a good place to be. I'm thrilled because uh, I go to Portland every couple of months for work. Uh, So I'll get to see you more often. So that's okay with me being yeah. super selfish but <laughs> yeah so that's okay. i'm excited for you thanks um yeah and so i i don't think i've talked about it have i talked about it that i have a part time job now like like a grown up you did talk did you have I?
1: talked a little bit about um your work for appcamp previously yeah
0: so that's headquartered officially in portland and i have a co executive director there and so that's why i end up going down there from time to time for board meetings and stuff. Very adult things. It's, it's so grown up. I just am so grown up Tempest. Totally. It was bound to happen someday. Right. hmm. So
1: I guess that's like follow up,
0: follow up aside. <laughs> um, what are we going to talk about today?
1: We're going to talk about inspiration and the sources of inspiration and when inspiration crosses the line over into theft or appropriation. Um, and this has been obviously a lot on my mind. If you follow me at all, you know that I'm like one of the people for whom, like, if you Google cultural appropriation, many of my articles or things pop up because I've been talking about cultural appropriation a lot, um, these past few years. And, um, I also have been thinking a lot about this just because a lot of times there is just like that the line between like, I was inspired by this to make my own thing. And I would love to use like these aspects of that thing over there for my thing. And you know, the line between like when it's okay and when it's not okay is very wibbly wobbly. It's like not a hard line. It's very gray. There's a lot of like shifting and there's also a lot of, um, difference between how it is received based on the the venue in which you're doing it, like whether it's, you know, literature or dance or art, visual art, um, movies, TV, even things like games or apps. Right. And so I just want to talk a little bit about like how to really think about these, these issues, because, you know, as artists, we want to be able to be inspired by things, but as people who don't want to be jerks in the world, you also don't want to cross that line into something that's not okay. Um, Because they're, you know, the line is fuzzy or the line is gray, but at some point you can cross right over it into no.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, what is the quote? Like, everything's a retelling like everything that's that's being done has been done before everything is derivative um and so yeah knowing and the line is in the eye of the beholder too so where do you start right right and so I think a starting place is go ahead and make the thing without you know with an eye toward like maybe this won't actually be publish or displayed or, or, or whatever, like express your creativity and, and then share it with close friends and family and otherwise keep it to yourself.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cause you know, one of the best pieces of advice that, that you often get from people who are, you know, any kind of artists who are like teaching beginners, they'll say you can start by just like flat out Imitating this better artist, right? So if you're a visual artist, you sometimes or a lot of times you'll sit there and you'll like sketch some you know great piece of art that exists, right? And you'll or you'll see like how well you can copy it based on the techniques that you've learned. Um, and when you're writing, like I have a uh, a friend, author Stephen Barnes, who says like go out and just like find a short story that you like. And then copy it. Like if you're a handwriter, like write it in your journal. If you're not a handwriter, like type it up on your computer, like literally just like type up the story or that chapter or whatever it is like word for word. And one of the reasons why he says to do this is because it allows you to then analyze what's going on in a different way because you have to type it like reading And writing something are two different experiences, right? So even though, yes, you can you can analyze through reading it, the actual act of putting the words on the page or on the screen helps you to analyze that work in a different way and really see what the author is doing. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, a ton of authors who do stuff like that. Like they'll find a passage in a book that they find to be so moving or so just you know something about it so evocative and they write it down in their journals now sometimes these authors then later on look through their journal and they're like oh this is a really great passage (laughs) that I wrote down let me just put this in my book and then they might maybe get in trouble for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they quote forgot that that was not something that they wrote but something that somebody else wrote so if you're going to do stuff like that be sure to label it clearly (laughs) so you do not accidentally run into that problem. But you know, it, it's totally a legitimate method. Like copying is totally a legitimate way to learn art. And I think it's the same way with like, say creating an app or creating a game. Like sometimes the best way to do that is to, or the best way to learn How something was done or how somebody got, you know, to some point is just to try to emulate it as best Mm -hmm. you can and see what's going on in the coding that you had to do in order to get it to get whatever function or, you know, your character or, or some game mechanic or whatever to work.
0: Yeah. and Well, and you see this all the time. If you go to art museums, people are planted with their easels and paints or sketchbooks or whatever um, in front of a work of art they admire and they're trying to um, practice brushstrokes or whatever, like um, performers, composers, they start by learning how to play or conduct or whatever, you know, Mozart and Bach and all of these other, you know, the great composers, uh, dancers go through, like you learn routines that someone else choreographs. And then once you get those things down, you can branch out. And I mean, not to say you can't branch out before that and start doing things in your own way, but that's, one of the ways I think that kind of a classical education, I'm not using classical education correctly, I understand, but like uh, the the traditional education system uh, in a lot of avenues teaches us to um, to steal first, not steal, to emulate first and then, you know, Once you know how to, once you know the rules, you can break the rules basically. Right. Exactly. And so that's, that's how you learn the rules is by copying or learning what has been done before.
1: Yeah. So since that is totally a legitimate way to learn, I think that that, that then leads sometimes to artists not necessarily understanding like how how that line or where the lines are or what, what's the difference between that and say, I was inspired by this and therefore I'm just going to like do my own thing. Or I really love this aspect of this culture and I'm just going to use that or I'm going to, you know, put that in my art or whatever. Um, And I think that mainly the, the problems come when the, the stuff that you're emulating, if you're not necessarily either adding to it in a meaningful way or you're using it as a crutch in order to build on to build your own thing um i mean not that everything has to be like 100 original you know there are plenty of things that like aren't like super original but they're still really great mm-hmm. um everything in life builds on everything else so it's just like I think this is why it's hard for artists and other creators to talk about this issue and to sometimes understand where they go wrong, because it's, it's not straightforward Mm -hmm. at all.
0: Yeah. And I think too, there are, so I'm thinking about as a reader and a really voracious reader, Mm -hmm. um, when I notice like, people in the same genre playing off of one another you know sometimes you can really really tell oh this is really similar to this person's work there's something I read recently where I was like there is nothing original in this it is this other thing that's just reskinned basically mm-hmm. um and with with all sorts of things there are always leaps that happen because of, often one person. So thinking about um in in writing like Mary Shelley being basically the mother of a certain type of story and um you know H.G. Wells being a really, you know, writing about time travel and all sorts of weirdness and you know kind of these these people who have been very influential are going to um like ursula k Le Guin, and and how they changed just by the by their stories they changed or created entire genres and we see this happening in art we see this happening in um in music we see this happening you know if you think about um Blues and everything's everything that's come from blues. Um, Elvis Presley, who oh, oh, maybe we can talk about Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna get so
1: much mail <laughs> if we talk about Elvis Presley, we're gonna get so much hate mail.
0: But basically, like Elvis, I'm gonna s- summary Elvis Presley popularized an entire like created this whole movement, right? Because white people paid attention to him, but there were everything he did the things that he was doing were based off of you know black artists in the south
1: who got no right. attention
0: because they were black
1: right and that was and the thing with the the Elvis conversation um which again like we're going to get so much mail because woo uh the Elvis love <laughs> it is strong out there but um i remember when i was when i was going to reference that in um, my NPR article on cultural appropriation i was I was looking at how, like, yes, it is true that, like, the the music that Elvis Presley was singing was not, you know, new to him. Um, he definitely absorbed it, just like most of the other white artists who were, like, from his, you know, sort of general area and who were, you know, in his general genre. Right. They absorbed this music from black artists. But the reason why it wasn't necessarily that Elvis was appropriating or stealing Because again, it's like, it's music and in music that kind of like inspired by, I'm going to do that thing that that other person did. Like that's normal. Like what Elvis did was normal. The problem wasn't Elvis himself. That's true. The problem was the fact that like black artists couldn't get on the radio, like Elvis could get on the radio and black artists weren't being given the opportunities. Like Elvis was being given the opportunities. And so, you know, Elvis was just like out there trying to sing music and make a buck. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, it was more the culture that was the problem and the music industry. That was the problem there because the, because the culture was not allowing the people who first created that music and inspired Elvis to have the same kind of success that Elvis had. And it was the same with rock and roll. Like rock and Mm -hmm. roll was invented by black musicians, Mm -hmm. but rock and roll as a, as a musical genre is I won't say now, but I'll say through a good portion of the 70s, 80s and 90s, rock and roll was associated with a certain kind of white listener, Mm -hmm. even though rock and roll was invented by black people. But it was white artists catering to white audiences that then became like what was, you know, seen as the core of rock and roll. Um, And again, it wasn't that any of those artists were like pretending that they didn't get that music from black people they were very clear about their influences. But it's, again, it was the culture and the music industry that made that particular thing happen. And so it's, and it's really hard with music, because so much of music is people, you know, listening to other people and And doing those same things or tweaking it just a little bit or putting their spin on it. And that's totally fine. I think a lot about this in terms of, um, you know, with hip hop and rap and sampling. And I know that there are some people who are like, uh, you know, sampling is just like, why can't you make your own music? La la la. And I get that, but I really feel that there's an art to taking a piece of someone else's song, whether it's like you know, the the driving beat or the bass line or the melody and reworking it into a different song. Mm-hmm. That that takes so much skill. You know, I'm consistently impressed by that skill. And and also it's not as if hip hop artists are like pretending that they made that baseline. <laughs> like they choose the songs that they sample for their cultural resonance. That's, that's part of the point of them using that sample is to say, I'm, I'm this, these are my influences and remember what this song was about. My song is kind of about that, but it's like a different spin on that thing that that other song was about. That's why I'm sampling that song.
0: We've talked about Hamilton and how Lin-Manuel Miranda and the people he worked with did that to obviously great and popular effect in that there are a lot of musical references and a lot of, um, I don't know that he really samples a whole lot. I know there's a little bit throughout the musical, but really just like going back to um, and having references to a lot of hip hop influences and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hamilton is full of that. And I think that the Hamilton mixtape, I... I cried when I was listening to the Hamilton mixtape in part because I was listening to, and I forget the name of the song. Like I just mostly have things on in the background. And so I can never remember like who did what or what it was called, but it was a song that, um, sampled, um, the eye of the hurricane song from Hamilton. And it was like, it was a hip hop song that was sampling that. And it was, and the song was talking about, How like it kept repeating the line "I wrote my way out." I wrote my way out, and and this hip hop artist was talking about how like he used his ability to make music and and create great rhymes to get himself out of the lower class situation that he was born into, into the life that he wanted, and like I was listening to that, and that was the first time that I understood what Lin Manuel Miranda meant when he said that. The story of Alexander Hamilton was a hip hop story because, like, I mean, I'd heard him say that many times. I just was sort of like, okay, whatever, dude. But listening to that song made me understand what he meant by that because he was talking about the the thing where that that is like the story of a lot of hip hop and rap artists of like they were able to use their skill as writers and musicians and rappers and performers to change their situation drastically, which is just exactly what Alexander Hamilton did as a young man. And so that's when I started crying. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but yeah, but like, but, but you know, in that instance, I mean, obviously like the Hamilton mixtape was um, made with the cooperation of Lin-Manuel and these other hip hop artists. But again, we have somebody taking an existing song and using it as the core Um, or like, you know, sort of like foundation for their other song in order to like elevate the understanding of what is going on in that piece of music in, in the original piece of music and their piece of music. Mm -hmm. So like in those cases, I really feel like, I think that musicians more have it down, like how to do this, like influenced by thing, as opposed to like, oh, it's just a straight copy. Um, Because, but I think that's also built into musical culture, um, especially popular mainstream musical culture. Um, It is, it's known that like, that's a thing that you can do. That's a thing that's okay. Um, And, and so most artists act accordingly. And when they don't, then you get situations like um, the thing with Pharrell and Robin Thicke, uh, fighting with the, the family of Marvin Gaye, over whatever that horrible song was that i just call the rape song i can't even oh, remember um, the song blurred lines that's what yeah it's called. um I've, and, I've managed to block it out really well though <laughs> right it's just like ah um but you know in that instance i know that like a lot of musicians felt like when the the gay family won that lawsuit or at least they won the first one i don't know if there have been appeals or whatever but i know that a lot of musicians felt like that was a bad precedent to to set because the the evidence was so flimsy that the baseline was the same but I feel like a lot of that court case like why it was even brought was because there was a there was also a cultural violation there um but like the way that Pharrell and Robin Thicke or actually probably was just Pharrell because apparently Robin Thicke was like off in a corner high somewhere the entire time this was going on. Um, and I say that, like he said that, like that was in his deposition. I'm not even, you know, saying things like just based on the fact I don't like him. Like he literally said like, well, I was high most of the time in the corner. So, you know, like, like Pharrell violated a cultural tenet of like how he was supposed to go about doing what he did. And legally, that might not be the reason why the judge made that decision. But like, I think that that's the reason why the Marvin Gaye's family decided to go after them, because like they did not adhere to the cultural norms or the the politeness or whatever you would call it in that instance. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. well, let's let's veer back because Um, talking about appropriation and we've, we've talked a little bit about, um, cultural inequity and, and, and how appropriation I guess can be perceived or how, um, I don't know, cultural inequity is bad and we need to fix it. And yes, but but let, let's talk about like in our, in your own work, in our own work, um, How do you tell where the line is between, you know, like borrowing or being inspired by um, and being overly, I guess, overly derivative or even unintentionally plagiarizing? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm assuming if you're wanting to have this conversation, you're not
1: intentionally plagiarizing. Um, I mean, let's really hope not. Let's not be taking things out of our journals that we thought we wrote. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Well, with that, there there's a lot. There are a lot of different moving parts to consider, right? So, for one thing, um, it you have to look at where the culture sits in like the sort of hierarchy of privilege and oppression. Um, and not to say that like we need to pre- play the oppression Olympics, but let's just say like British culture. Um, and and cultures generally from the u k have been exported and pushed upon other people in the world enough that I wouldn't necessarily call some work of fiction that uses um British either British history, British um, mythology, British folklore, any of that appropriative because specifically because those cultural things have been pushed on us by the british mm-hmm. in their efforts to colonize everything <laughs> right they're just they're just they were calling for a while they were just trying to colonize everything okay cool so Until because very of, very recently <laughs> right and so because of that um a, a culture like that is seen as fair game especially in the western world because a lot of um a lot of Western culture is based on those cultures that were like pushed on other parts of the world. Right. So, um, and I would say that like, that is true of many Western European, um, cultures as well, especially if they're like Northern Western European, because Mm -hmm. there's like this whole thing about like Northern Europe and Southern Europe and the divide and la 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 too much to get into right now. Um, but yeah, like generally I would say if you're looking for like sort of, general rule if it is a colonizer a colonizing culture that has pushed its cultural elements on everybody else um or if it's like a part or if it's a culture that is like an ancient culture that is that has been pushed on everybody else as like you know, the, the ultimate good. And I'm thinking specifically of like elements of Roman culture, elements of ancient Grecian Mm -hmm. culture. I was
0: literally thinking about that just before
1: you started talking about it. Yep. Yeah. And so like, those are all, I think, fair game because of the pushing. Right. But then you get into like, whether or not say you as an American, um, should be like taking elements from Chinese culture or Japanese culture, Indian culture, cultures, um, from various places around Africa. Uh, and part of the reason why that can be difficult is because, um, with the exception of, I believe Chinese culture, cause like, I don't think th- that China was ever colonized, but like it's China's difficult because China's huge and there are things, but like mm-hmm. cultures that have a history of colonization or oppression, um, then it's a more difficult proposition for you to be using their elements of their culture or um, the spiritualities that are embedded in those cultures in your work because those cultures have been like super colonized. And so already there's like a problem. Um, Now, of course, like this is also relative. I I think a lot about um, how, for instance, with Japanese culture, like in America, we'll get on, like white people like fetishizing Japanese culture or using Japanese cultural elements in their books, but like, but in their fantasy books, are like changing it just a little bit and being like, no, those weren't Japanese people, they're just almond eyed ninjas with katanas. Like, weird, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, no, right. Um, uh, but like in Japan, the Japanese people are like, whatever, it's cool, we like it when you do that stuff, and we're like, mm. but in Japan they don't necessarily have to worry as much about like the problems of uh, appropriation from white folks in like in Japan, they don't have to worry about those issues, but mm-hmm. like in America, people of Japanese descent or people of like any Asian descent have to worry about those things here. And so like, I've seen a lot of conversations where like, you know, Japanese Americans are like, Hey, Japanese people from Japan, why don't you step out of this conversation? So, you know, it's, it gets a little fuzzy, but like, there are some where it's, like, unequivocally, like, no, actually, like, why don't you just step off? Um, Native American cultures, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, and, and this goes for, like, Native American cultures, like, throughout North America and not just the United States. Also, Aboriginal cultures. I was just going to say, yeah. First Nations in general. Yeah. In Australia, New, New Zealand, you know, like, all of those, like in those cases, like there's still an ongoing oppression. There's still ongoing appropriation of their culture, their cultural artifacts, their spiritual, uh, stuff about their spirituality, like everything, you know, JK Rowling's magic in North America proved that like (laughs) that issue is not dead. And it will, In like, we, we can only hope that someday it will be dead, but right now it's not. So with those cultures, it's like, you have to be more careful And more cognizant because even though, like, people want to say, well, like, well, but I can be inspired by anything. There's a reason why Native cultures uh, or people from Native cultures often treat their cultural stuff as intellectual property. And it's not necessarily because they want to, but it seems sometimes like the only way that they can get white people to stop taking their stuff like in a really appropriative and and like gross way um to you know they have to like make them think of it as intellectual property which then gets everybody mad Mm -hmm. but like that's the way that you have to do it and so with that it's like there are ways to be inspired by a culture without necessarily like stealing stuff from that culture or using it in inappropriate ways um in the, in terms of like fiction, you know, there, there are ways that you can like look at aspects of a culture that you admire and think like, I would love to put that in my story because that's so cool. But then you have to think about whether like, number one, it's appropriate for you to be using that because sometimes like that's just inappropriately gained knowledge. A lot of times it's even wrong or incorrect. Um, But, but, There are ways to, like, use what you like about that aspect of a culture to inspire something different that isn't derivative, that isn't um, appropriative, uh, but that still keeps the core of what it is that you like Mm -hmm. about, you know, whatever aspect. Um, But that requires not only, like, some extra thought, but it just requires, like, a sense of nuanced thinking. Yep. And that seems to be where people get in trouble and people struggle is the nuanced thinking.
0: Yeah. And especially, I don't know. It's interesting to me that as a person who has a hard time picking things apart internally. So like, why do you like that thing? I don't know. I just like it, you know? Um, so if you wanted to talk about, um, because i've seen this come up very frequently i'll i'll use the example of um so i grew up in southwestern colorado near um the navajo nation and there are some some myths that are very specific to the navajo um that they don't they don't like as a people or the navajo people i have known don't like talking about some of these very specific myths because, um, it's just not done. Right. But if you hear about them and I don't want to name them because I don't want to, but like you hear about them and you think, Oh, that's really interesting. There's one in particular that it's like, Oh, that would be a really, you could, you could make a horror movie out of this particular class of supernatural being. Right. Um, what about that is interesting to me? And instead of thinking, okay, well, what about this is interesting? What do I think would actually be, um, make for a good story or be incorporated in a good story? They're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to talk about the supernatural being when that's not something like the Navajo people don't like talking about them. They don't want people to know about them. It's just not a thing you do. So, but people don't, white people, <laughs> white people don't think that far. They don't think, oh, you know, of the two dozen Navajo people I know, none of them like talking about this. I think I'm going to go write a story for mass consumption. People don't stop and think about that at all. And you need to, like you need to if you're in in that kind of situation. So if you're looking at an underrepresented, not underrepresented, but an oppressed group of people think about what you want to take and why you want to take it and what makes it interesting and either stop and don't use it or figure out what is actually good about it. You know, from, from the perspective of what you want to incorporate in a story or a painting or there are, there are dances that um, are specific to specific tribes they don't let outsiders in to see this. So if you happen to be trusted and come in and see it, why would you take an element of that dance and incorporate it into what you want to choreograph? You shouldn't do that. But what's interesting about it?
1: Right. Um, and this, you know, like you said, it applies to visual art. It applies to dance. It applies to music because, you know, it, it would be a different story if the history of the world were different. Right. <laughs> if um, if like we had or I won't say we, if certain ancestors had come across the Native Americans and instead of like trying to you know fight them and wipe them out and shove them over so that they could like take their land and whatnot and all their resources, they instead like exchanged with them and learned about them and f- like formed cohabitating respectful exchange with them, Mm -hmm. then probably we would not be in a situation where, um, you know, different tribes are like super protective of certain things. Now they might still be very protective of, you know, spiritual practices and stories that relate to those because, you know, some of that is just like, that's in group, you know, there, there are many cultures across the world, some of which have been, you know, marginalized, oppressed or colonized. And some of which haven't that are like, no, 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 that information is not just for anybody that's Mm -hmm. for specific people in our community. And that's, you know, just like a feature of their culture, which is, that's totally fine. Um, But I think that, you know, just the reticence to reveal like many different things, comes from the fact that like so much stuff was just taken. Yeah. You know, taken and then, you know, denigrated and then later on was like, isn't this like an amazing cultural artifact that we have put in this museum? Um, no, you can't have it back even though we stole it out of your front yard. Um so so in those cases, uh the the line to what is appropriative and what isn't just really often has to do with like what does that culture say about what they want out in the world that what is for others and what is just for them um and to put it in capitalist terms you know are they able to make money off of it while you're making money off of it or is you making money off of it taking away their ability to make money off of it it's really annoying to have to put things in capitalist terms it is let me tell you but sometimes that's what you got to do in Mm. order to make people understand (laughs) right right like why it's not okay um but but yeah in that sense thinking about like what what is it about the thing that that you find interesting sometimes that means like doing digging a little bit deeper into like what is what is the 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 core of that cultural thing and where else can it be found um because i'm I'm not about to go all Joseph Campbell on you. I promise. I'm not about to say like, there's a monomyth and every single myth (laughs) is connected through the creative or the collective unconscious. Mm. Young, like I'm not about to go there because I have feelings about young. We'll get into that in another episode. (laughs) But, um, but it is, it is a thing that in many different cultures, you will find similar underlying aspects to different cultural, um, cultural bits, that if you study lots of different cultures, you start to see some of those underlying things. And then that can really help to inspire whatever you're going to do about it, whether like you're going to make a piece of art or a piece of music or whatever. It's like you can use your understanding of culture, of mythology, of, you know, different aspects of music, different aspects of storytelling, you know, whatever it is, um, to, to create something that is, you know, in its like very distant, like little teeny tiny kernel inspired by like that one thing, but is still built up of like all this other stuff that you understand and know and have also been inspired by. So I think like, yeah, the cure to, to being appropriative is just to learn more and to study more and to experience more and to be inspired by multiple things because that's when you get something that's, like, really yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it doesn't even matter if it's, like, 100% original. It's, like, 100% you because it's based on your experiences and your learnings and stuff. Sorry, you have homework. Oh, no! <laughs> Hopefully gotta it's learn stuff
0: you like, though. So, okay. So I have taken inspiration and I have educated myself about the thing and things surrounding it. I have created something that I think is my own. How, how do I make sure that's the case? How do I make sure that I have not internalized uh, a lot of, I don't know, like dialogue, going back to the, the writing something in your journal and plagiarizing
1: accidentally right. or whatever. Like how, how do you do that? I mean, basically, I don't know if there is an answer to that. I think that all you can do is put it out there and then listen when you get feedback from people and they're like, what is this? You've stolen whatever. Um, cause people are going to tell you, if somebody out there recognizes it, they're going to tell you. Uh, which is, like, one of the great things about being an artist these days. Twitter. Question mark. Twitter. They're coming for you. Um. Yeah. So, but I think that, like, listening to that feedback and... Freaking out? Well, don't freak out. Like, oh. listen to the feedback. Don't freak out. And, like, think about how you can either modify or just do better the next time. Like, I mean, that's always the advice I give. It's just like, just listen to the feedback that you get. Cause, um, cause sometimes it's with art, sometimes it's about like, you're not going to understand how your art is going to impact people until it impacts people. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to be able to predict until there is an audience, uh, which is very scary. You
0: can, and this isn't foolproof, but you can get, you know, find people to look at the thing that you've created, whether it's beta readers to check out, out your work, whether you're paying sensitivity readers. Like if you know that you've borrowed from a culture, maybe you get some sensitivity readers from that culture and you pay them to read the thing and make sure that you're okay, at least from their perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, like have someone listen to, again, music I know is a little bit more wobbly sometimes, but have someone listen to the song that you've composed and, and does it lean too far in a direction? You know, there are, are things that you can do, but ultimately, like you said, Tempest, it, there's only so much you can do before you put it out there. And then you get feedback. Yeah. And I think too, um, maybe a quick lesson in how to apologize. Do you have good guidelines for like so you've put the thing out there, you've done all the due diligence you thought, you know, like you've you've educated yourself, you've um evaluated what it is about this thing you've been inspired by, you've hired the the beta readers, you've gone to you know, whatever people who are knowledgeable about the culture or whatever it is and shown them the piece of art you've created. And then you put it out there and it turns out maybe people have different opinions from the, the, your trusted advisors. So how do you apologize when that happens? Well, first of all,
1: um, I always suggest, and I I'll say that like I got this framework from Mary Robinette Kowal, who's an author, um, and amazing author. And so we like, we've actually like done this talk before. We're like, here's what to do when you F up. Um, The first thing to do is um, if you see something like that, if you see that somebody's like, no, you've appropriated or no, you've done this or, oh, this is horrible or whatever, that the first thing you should do is just not respond. And you should get away from the internet or get away from like the source of uh, the criticism for 24 hours. And the reason to do this is because you need time to calm down Mm -hmm. and you need time to like have a reaction that isn't a defense reaction because you're going to be defensive and angry at first. And that's completely normal. Um, and so yeah, you just need that time to be like, I gotta chill out and like think rationally again. Um, and Like, during that time, I always suggest that people, like, go talk to a friend who's very sympathetic so that you can get out all of those, like, these people are so wrong and they're so mean and they're saying these things about me. And the friend would be like, "Mm mm-hmm, they're wrong and mean. Yes, because (laughs) you need that. Mm -hmm. You need somebody to, like, agree with you and tell you that everybody's wrong and mean. Um, But then, like, maybe also go talk to somebody who will not just agree with you. And you could say like, these people are saying this. And they'll be like, well, that's because you did this thing. And you'll be like, oh, no. Um, but so, yeah. So in your 24 hour period, you know, staying away from the Internet or whatever, um, just take that time to just like sort of calm down and like get over your immediate defensive reaction. And then like go and read the criticisms and just see if like there's anything valid in them. And again, like if you... Are not sure if there's anything valid in them. Like finding somebody who is knowledgeable about that thing, um, you know, about the culture or you know whatever it is, and having them read the comments and if you trust them to like tell you the truth, and and they could be like, yes, this is a valid criticism. You should really think about this. Um, then, like, you can you could go onto whatever platform. And you apologize and you make your apology as simple as possible. Like, you don't ever try to defend what you did or like explain it. Please don't explain it. People are really bad at explaining, <laughs> and especially in situations like this. And also, nobody wants your explanation. Mm, I do it. I do it. Yeah. I do it. So, yeah, like what people want from you is an apology. And so you can say, like, you know, I'm really sorry. That wasn't my intention, but my intentions did not match the outcome. And I'm and, and I, so I'm very sorry that I, that I hurt people with this. Um, and then if you have steps for like fixing it, like maybe like if a thing is published, usually like it's just published and you can just be like, I will do better in the future and I will not make this mistake again. Um, if there's something that you can do to change it, you know, you can say, I'm, I'm looking into steps to rectify this problem. Um, and I'm, I'm consulting people, uh, and, And then like, but make it just very simple, like very like laid out, basic, very simple. I'm very sorry. That was not my intention. I'm going to do better in the future slash I'm going to fix it. Thank you to all the people who pointed this out to me. And again, I'm very sorry. And then just let that be done. Mm -hmm. And then after that, just do not continue to engage because you have made your statement. And the only thing that you need to do is like to go off somewhere and figure out how you're going to fix it. And, and, you know, get advice on like what to do and whatever. And maybe that means like reading some more of the criticism that, that is online or in public spaces or whatever, but I cannot stress enough that you do not engage. Yep. Do not engage. Like read, but don't engage. Um, Only engage with people sort of like in that, that you can talk to one-on-one that you can trust, but also just realize that you're asking them to do emotional work too. I was just, Emotional labor. So be sure to like compensate them in some way. Um, Maybe it's monetarily, maybe it's not, but like, but even just like acknowledge, like let them know, like, I know this is a lot of emotional labor. I'm very sorry. I just want to make sure that I don't mess up again. Um, And a lot of times people will be like, okay, like if you're committed to not messing up, I'm willing to do this emotional labor for you because I want you to not mess up as well.
0: Yeah. And that, that kind of consent is important. So going back to the don't respond, read, but don't respond, find someone trusted. If you're on social media, you're on Twitter and someone's saying, hey, this is problematic and you're playing and saying, well, I don't really understand what you're saying. Would you explain to me w- what it is you're talking about and be really specific? You're asking for emotional labor from one, your critic to who has been hurt by something that you've done. Um, and whether that hurt comes out as anger or frustration or, or however that's expressed in some way you have harmed them and, um, and, and three, you're not going to be able to compensate them in any way. I mean, you can say thank you or whatever, but don't, don't do that. Take that step, that non-engagement step, Make sure that you're doing that because otherwise you're, you're not helping. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping the situation and you're certainly not helping the people you've harmed. Yeah. You can ask them, I guess you can say, if you have the bandwidth, um, would you be willing to engage in this? I've had people do that with me and sometimes I have, and sometimes I haven't, but Asking first, I guess, is maybe a step. Um, but only do that if you can if you're distanced already to some yeah. extent.
1: So yeah, it's it's tough. All of this is tough. Like all of this is very like complex and complicated, right? Like the whole and we could have like a 16 hour conversation about the line between like stealing and in being inspired and appropriation and what's appropriate appropriation what's inappropriate appropriation and and all of those things so so yeah but again it's like i since we talk so much about like what what is it that like gets artists inspired or gets them um revved up to do like a certain kind of art or a certain kind of thing like i also want to talk about like the the other like non-happy side of that which is like you've been inspired by something that you shouldn't have actually even known about Mm -hmm. Uh uh-oh it's stolen information what do you do or even just like out and out stealing things (sighs) that's hard yeah i mean if you want to you can go ahead and like make an angry birds clone and i'll play it as long as it's not (laughs) you know supported by ads you can do that. I give you permission.
0: Tempest said I'm it's sure okay. It's
1: fine. Rovio would not agree with me, but Rovio made everything full of ads. And they so did. I'm not their friend anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, it's hard because on the one hand, like, do you make the thing and then not share it? Um, do you, you know, and I guess it's, it's up to you. um, What you do, I would tend to, encourage you to go back to that evaluate what it is you like about whatever it is whether it's something that you're supposed to know about or not um are there elements of that that you can take you know can you get to the core of whatever that was um and then maybe play with it maybe it goes yeah. somewhere maybe it doesn't but i personally i think it's probably just my i'm i'm cautious And I would probably tend toward encouraging people just, you know, think, oh, that was one of those really good ideas that I'm just not going to be able to execute because we have so many of those anyway. Yeah. It's just another one of them.
1: Yeah. And there is value in doing a thing, creating a piece of art or a piece of creative endeavor, and then just like having done it. Yeah. And you don't necessarily ever show it to anybody outside of your inner circle. It doesn't, you know, become public. It doesn't go out to the wider world. That doesn't mean that it wasn't of value. And it taught you something. Like every piece of creative work that you complete teaches you something. That's true. So even if it sits in a drawer forever, that's okay.
0: I mean, there are a lot of first novels and second novels and third novels. <laughs> 50th novels. <laughs> yeah. Sitting in drawers, not going anywhere. Um, compositions okay. that people never hear, I'll, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the process. It's really yep. part of the process.
1: It is. Yep. So, your homework is to go out and copy something and then never show it to anybody, <laughs> anybody ever. <laughs> that's what you should do. Um, uh, but, you know, hey, like I said, copying stuff it's, it's a really good way to learn. Yeah, it, it seriously is. There are a lot of authors
0: who just, just like you said, um, in fact, I've been reading Sue Grafton's books, um, the Kinsey Milhone mysteries starts with A's for alibi and goes to Y is for yesterday. And unfortunately she died before she could finishes Z I know so a just the other day I finished wise for yesterday but there was one of the novels kind of toward the end where it's this really there's a really famous author and she talks about how he starts in high school has a really harsh kind of writing teacher and he um so he went and it was kind of like an independent study class. So he like went and found, I don't know, probably Hemingway because all, all, all the white guys like Hemingway <laughs> and he found one of his books mm. and started typing from Hemingway and then was like, oh, okay. And then he found another book and started typing chapters. Just, you know, just like you described, because you learn the form, you learn how to put sentences together. It's, it's a repetitive exercise.
1: Do it. Yep. So go out and copy some Hemingway. Oh, don't copy Hemingway. (laughs) Copy it and then throw it in the trash. Uh, Roll your eyes. Copy somebody better then. (laughs) Find someone better to copy.
0: (laughs) All right. I am so glad you thought of this topic and I'm so glad um, you were much more educated and much more articulate about it than I am. So thank you for as always, thank you for your expertise, Tempest. I appreciate you.
1: Ah, oh, thank you for having a conversation with me. I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. All
0: right, so if people want to find us, what do they need to do? They need to
1: trek through the jungles of the Amazon. Mm, to the Pacific Northwest, it's a really long journey. It is. Um and then they need to find an ethernet outlet and plug into it Whoa. and then go to Twitter. <laughs> And then on Twitter, if they want to find me, they should type in Tiny Tempest. If they want to find you, they should type in Aline. That's really easy because it's A-L-E-E-N. Double E will get you, though. The the double E will get you. Um, Or if they want to, like, find the show account, they can type in Originality FM. All right. that's amazing.
0: Really low volume on Originality FM, so pay attention when we tweet about new shows. That's right. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this time. Until next time, you have your marching orders go copy something, then destroy it. Bye.